This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. All right. 11:35. And dilui. And dilui. Kwatangizolwa. If anybody has the gumption, the absolute audacity to say sexual harassment is a matter of public opinion. It is not. Let's just be clear. Let's talk about sexual harassment because it's a topic that came up, but there was so much interference in the airwaves last week that we couldn't quite get to grips with it. So let's do it today as a masterclass um, and just understand what is meant by sexual harassment. And whilst we acknowledge, especially in the workplace, that we are dealing with adults in the main who are consenting individuals. And so it is possible, I'm not naive, that two people could meet in the workplace, fall head over heels in love and, you know, sail off into the sunset. It's possible. It has happened before. But we recognize that there are power dynamics in the workplace that just make the forging of a relationship quite a complicated thing to do. So the first one is where we're dealing with a vertical system of power, a boss and a subordinate, an editor and a reporter, a producer and a presenter. It doesn't matter that you're very familiar with one another, you work well together. There is, there is an unspoken, acknowledged dimension of power. It's there. And if somebody gives you an advance or makes an advance towards you, and they're your boss, who are in a position to appraise you, promote you, fire you, create attrition in your workspace, it becomes really difficult to say to that boss, please don't talk to me like that. Please don't wink at me. Please don't tell me I look nice. Even if you're a motor mouth like me, there is that vulnerability that kicks in. Okay? Then there are the relationships uh, that are horizontal, where you are amongst your peers. You work together you're probably within the pay, same pay scale or, you know, so nobody's got the power to hire or fire you. So you might feel you've got more latitude, but that doesn't mean it makes it any easier to deal with unwanted uh, attention at the workplace just because you know how to say to somebody, stop it. You shouldn't always have to be batting people away at work like swatting flies around you okay it's a complete waste of your time and energy every single day if this is what you're dealing with the third thing is this idea that women and this was bizarre for me are willing to stomach the advances of an attractive or a rich man because he's attractive and rich i mean this is laughable for me so and it was said so brazenly by callers on Power 98.7, that if he's ugly and poor, she'll be the first to say sexual harassment. But if he's rich and handsome, she'll tolerate it. On what basis will she tolerate it? 
So it also sends the wrong signal that there are some men who can get away with it, especially where money and power are involved. I'm here to tell you today, gentlemen, is a lie, is not true, is sexual harassment, in fact, the worst kind, because now that one is born of entitlement. And then there's just brazen ignorance, where you think you're paying someone a compliment, you really meant well, but it was received incorrectly on the other side. So I'm one of those people who likes to comment people and I always have to catch my tongue. Oh, oh, and you look really handsome today. I think I'm being nice. But the use of that word handsome could be triggering, misconstrued by Owen. Why couldn't I just say lovely shirt, walk away? In fact, why did I even need to say lovely anything? Why didn't I just keep quiet? So it's all those parameters and it's a minefield. And today we're here to learn. We're joined by Morunga Mopai, who's a human resources specialist. Morunga, good morning. Hello, Matt. And Julia Makubela, who's the founder and director of 5424 Diversity and Inclusion Firm. Good morning, Julia. Good morning, Lerato and Morunga, and to the listeners. All right. So let's start with you, uh, Morunga, because this is an HR issue. Okay. HR is that part of the workplace that really uh, regulates how employees interact, how systems of power are administered, what codes of conduct need to be, how people are promoted fairly, how talent is managed. So what does HR policy in general say about sexual harassment? And is it a policy embedded in other employment equity uh, practices and codes of conduct? Uh, thank you, Lerato. Um, yes, uh, there is a code of conduct in terms of, of uh, the basic conditions of employment. However, it's not very explicit. Hence, we have seen in the past few years, even during the COVID, the, um, the CCMA has been having quite a number of high cases of sexual harassment in the workplace. So it is there, but it's not very explicit. However, the companies are responsible for drawing up policies that talk to sexual harassment and how to, to address it and how to prevent it, and also embark on rigorous training in terms of um, educating their employees on how to how to behave in the mm. workplace and how to spot some behavior that right. can be construed as sexual harassment and how to, to avoid those instances where you would be saying something and somebody then misinterprets it to be sexual harassment. Yeah. So it is there in the policy, in, in the basic conditions of employment. However, policies should also support them mm. to avoid a lot of um, mm. reported cases of sexual um, harassment in the workplace. Okay. So you and s- there should be, you know, continuous training on, on the issues so that mm. both employers and employees know, know where to draw the line, what are the mm. boundaries. Okay. So, Julia, let's bring you into the conversation. I find it intriguing that Osmo Rungwa is saying, yes, there is an Employment Equity Act and a code of good practice on the prevention and elimination of violence and harassment in the world of work, but it's not explicit. In other words, it's there. It kind of is a loose definition of what it is, whereas 
it could be very direct in defining mm. what is sexual harassment. So why are the codes loose? Yeah, so I'm going to speak from what I do and my experience, and I'm glad Murungwe actually said, even if there are policies, even if they have to be very tight, right? So mm. what I do is I then go into organizations and I bring the, why do people behave the way they do? Mm. And so I would be the person who's doing the training and who's trying to change the culture. Yeah. So people often behave the way that they do because of how we socialized, as you know, mm. meaning how we grew up, what was seen as normal, um, treating people the, the way that we think is okay to treat them. And if society says it's okay to treat them, then we get away with it for long enough until we adults and we're working. Mm. And then we bring that behavior into the workplace. Um, and then the other thing is uh, the, the environment that we're in. So if it's a predominantly environment that is run by men, and it's a predominantly male environment, which technology, uh, mining, those kind of industries have that. People might not be correcting us because they don't have the awareness or they just think it's normal. So what I then come in and do is we'll create the boundaries, but oftentimes it's left to people's interpretations. And then it's how do you socialize people to realize that you don't treat people the way that you, you want to be treated. You treat people the way that they want to be treated, mm -hmm. meaning you have to understand what is it that makes a person experience unsafety and then experience the impact of sexual harassment, which is most people who get sexually harassed that I have coached and that mm -hmm. I've worked with will actually um, experience anxiety, depression. They won't even want to come to work. It impacts their performance. So actually mm -hmm. there's a business case to it. Okay. So my role comes in when I'm doing the behavior change okay. and the culture change. Perhaps what we should do, Osmurunga, is just define loosely in this loose environment of how you interpret, how I interpret. Well, what are the ground rules of sexual harassment that are just agreed to regardless of people's interpretation? What is understood or recognized to be sexual harassment? Um, thank you, Lerato, for the question. Um, sexual harassment is understood to be unwanted conduct of sexual nature that violates the other person, their dignity, or create an intimidating environment for them, or even hostile. And um, it can be seen to be degrading for them, or even offensive when they are in the environment. And this does not only um, involve physical, but it can also be emotional, and it's not only done physically or in in the with through physical touch, it can be even visual by sending people pictures that are inappropriate, by commenting, you know, on their the way they are wearing, on their looks, like you just alluded earlier on mm. about the shirt. Um, it can also be done by complimenting them, or without you know measuring the ways that you are using mm -hmm. that you may think appropriately and meanwhile they construe it differently yeah. just like um what julia said that we don't treat people the way we want to be treated but we treat we need to treat them the way they would like to be treated so what you may be saying uh, innocently as mm. a good gesture it might be construed to by the other person yeah. as being um offensive right so it, it's anything that the next person would be perceived as being Offensive. uncomfortable yeah. for them to hear. Can there just be ground rules, uh, Moroma? In other words, you walk into an environment and they say, listen, 
were a fairly, you know, uh, open, uh, informal, liberal office. But there are just some things that aren't going to happen here. So we would just suggest, as Power FM, no complimenting of each other's clothes, bodies, complexions, eyes, or anything like that. A straight good morning, how are you, is sufficient to be cordial. Can you just establish those ground rules? Then that way, then nobody's trying to walk over minefields. Yes, that can be done. But also, you don't want to make people feel like they are living in a concentration camp. <laughs> they should be free to, to interact with one another. However, if there are some ground rules, like you say, yeah. But without it feeling like people are being constrained, that you will even feel scared when you meet your colleague, you want to look the other side because you are scared that whatever you're going to say, it will be perceived as being inappropriate. Yeah. So I guess people should also use their common sense to say, would this be received well when I say this to this person? Yeah. And also engage, you know, assess the mood, the environment, the culture of the company. Mm. So that can be driven by the company, the employers, and the through HR, whereby okay. they teach the culture of, of a specific company. Okay. They talk about this, they train these people, they workshop them so that they know what not to say. Okay. Julia, this speaks mm. to emotional intelligence. Yes. It speaks to cultural awareness mm-hmm. and broad-mindedness. And I, I have to be respectful and I say we're not all like that. Okay? So... I work in an environment that is, what, 80% uh, black African, okay? So I might be culturally aware within that category and not culturally aware as to what would work in a community that is Jewish or Muslim or Africana. So, So I then take what I've learned or explored and seen at power and I take it somewhere else and it's completely wrong because I don't have that exposure. And I think that's the reality many South Africans have. Correct. And the and the reason is, so the things you mentioned, emotional intelligence, cultural intelligence, those are things that we should ideally be learning from when we're children. So the standardized school curriculum focuses on cognitive development, but not necessarily social development, which is what you're speaking about. And now, I mean, you private schools that are starting to create that because they, they have resources and they don't have constraints. So what the workplace does is they think about what is the culture that we want, because Murunga is right, you don't want a concentration camp, you want actually people that have good working relationships that are based on respect, Um, and human rights and dignity. Mm. So what you then do is you define, we want a a, a culture where people will not experience sexual harassment, whatever forms of, um, you know, indignities. Mm. And then you train people. So it's not a one-day workshop. It's a long-term thing. When you onboard people, Mm. they understand what are the rules. You show them the behavior through how leaders lead, um, there's feedback loops. If a person, if a leader can give a person feedback around what is your behavior, how does it impact others, and what is your performance? Mm-hmm. So a lot of organizations focus on performance. Yeah. So what did you do? But not necessarily a person's behavior and aligning it to are you impacting others positively mm-hmm. or negatively? Um, and then having that ongoing, that ongoing feedback loop for people. So it is a it is a, a, a development area that. Actually, school because you can't 
children emotion but it, it's not an automatic skill something that's learned right. you can teach people cultural intelligence so that they are more sensitive to how to deal with other people mm. okay and people have to be teachable i also think julia Murungwa, there's the issue here of um south africa having an entrenched patriarchy Okay, and this is not male bashing. This is just the world we come from. Uh, Majority of CEOs and C-suite executives are men. Majority of business owners are men. In an economy where the majority of people who are formally employed in the formal sector of the economy are men, more women are found in the informal sector of the economy in caregiving roles, etc. So industry, corporate is male-dominated for all intents and purposes. We're seeing many inroads, yes, of hiring more women managers, more women leaders, but it's a men's world in a Mm. business sense. You know, I'm being very, very general. And a men's world in a country of machismo, where men will say, what? What's wrong? I'm not asking you for a hand in marriage just by telling you you look beautiful. And why shouldn't I tell you you look beautiful? You do look beautiful. So there's an entitled behavior that men seem to have. Um, And I think it's really complicating this conversation around sexual harassment. Could you help us with that? Yes. In fact, you you are right. We, We are living in a society where there are more males in, in higher positions than, than females. And then what, what needs to to be done in that space is for us as women as well to be empowered, especially by our employers, to be able to, to stand up for ourselves and talk. Even when it's painful, even when you know you can risk losing your job, or even when you know you might be victimized, you might not get promotion, you might not get increase when the, the time for appraisal comes. But unless we are vocal and we talk about this, the culture will not change. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 it's the company's responsibility, yes, but it's also individual responsibility to be able to, to ensure that the environment that we spend yeah. most of our time in is conducive and and healthy for us to, mm. to live in. Julia, it's not just women who are sexually harassed. Men can also feel sexually harassed. And I think they might even be more constrained to speak about it because of that culture of patriarchy and machismo. Mm. Because for a man to say, Lerato makes me uncomfortable, people are like, are you mad? You should be grateful. Mm. What's wrong with you? Women love you. What's wrong with you? But men can also feel vulnerable. Yes, I'm glad what because it's not about men bashing. So men that get sexually harassed oftentimes, by the way, in the in the work that I have done, tend to be men that present feminine. So not get sexually harassed, they just get harassed. They get uh, exclusionary behavior. Yes, every now and then you do have, I think the CDC said one in nine men will experience some form of sexual um, harassment where it's one in three women. So you do have those. It is more prevalent in spaces that have uh, power being distributed unevenly. So it actually does start with power. It does start with um, who are the people that are setting the tone for the culture because the tone is set by the people who are in charge. They're the people making decisions, 
they're the ones that are saying um, yes to what is normal and what is abnormal. And so even if you had to you had to have women voice things out, I think what you said earlier, Lerato, is that if a man is in a position of power, he can just, you know, decide that I'm going to ice this person out because they're speaking up. So, yes, men do get sexually harassed, but it's oftentimes the harassment happens to people that are queer um, and that are women. So mm. it's oftentimes people that are feminine, actually. So we actually have to change the entire economy so that there's more representation across the board and then we'll have more traction around this. Mm. And another thing, the justice system. So if a woman gets um, sexually harassed and she reports it, the justice system also doesn't have women who are representing and and people don't understand the trauma of this. So it's often treated as light and not taken mm. seriously. So there's a whole reform around representation and the social justice system okay. so that this can stop. So your statistics say one in three women experience sexual harassment and one in nine men. And that one in nine men is likely to be a man considered effeminate. Yeah. Absolutely. Murungwa, you use the terms re, uh, responsibility and I'm going to add to it recourse because I'm very uncomfortable with this idea of responsibility. So I'm at work. I'm being bothered by a man whose attention I don't welcome. And it's now up to me to stop him, rein him in, report him and battle it out. Why? Why should the responsibility be on the victim? to do something, say something, set the boundaries? Um, it is not just the victim's responsibility, but remember, the victim is the first port of call. Mm. This will be the first person who experiences this. Your manager, your HR might not be aware of this. Mm. Or it could even be your manager who is uh, perpetrating this um, behavior. Mm. So you should first, as the victim, come out and, and report this. However, the environment should be conducive for you to to feel free to to approach the, the leadership or the powers that be and say, this is what I'm experiencing from XYZ and I'm uncomfortable with the situation. And the environment, your employer, your manager, your boss, your HR should be able to do the necessary, take the necessary steps, investigate the matter and then come up with a solution mm. that is fair for everybody. So unless you come out first, you may not, people might not know that mm. you are experiencing challenges. Right. So, however, it shouldn't lie on you entirely. There should be support from the, yeah. the employers. Julia, as we wind the conversation down, I'm going to say something, but I want to be careful how I'm saying it, right? Because I don't want to make light of anything. So we are not he- talking about sexual assault. We're not talking about rape. We're not even really talking about sexual violence. We are just talking about being in an environment where people don't see you as a contemporary and equal. Mm-hmm. They see you as a woman, an attractive woman first, before you are a lawyer, before you are an actuary, before you're a broadcaster. That's the first thing that they see. Or they see you as a handsome man first before you are whatever your intellectual contribution is. And by doing that, they've already diminished your value Mm. and your contribution and they sexualize you. So you come into a meeting. It's neutral. We were here to discuss strategy. And one comment that goes, oh, my daughter, just that alone 
already sets the tone that doesn't matter what she says, it's not going to be taken seriously. That is what sexual harassment does, certainly from my vantage point. It is the diminishing of somebody's value and contribution. And the more it's tolerated, the worse it gets because it starts with the dulu. Tomorrow it becomes, ooh, I love your legs. Next week it's Mm. imagine what I would do to you. So it's something that kind of gets worse on a progressive scale. It's that nipping in the bud that we need to talk about. And the casualization of sexual harassment, I think that is the problem. Yeah, and back to your power conversation. From a young woman, I'm new to the case. I don't know how to manage myself. And other people might laugh because they feel awkward. Um, and so it is about what Murunga was saying. That environment has to be very hostile, actually, to that kind of behavior because it limits a person's career. It it impacts a person's mental health. And then what you have is a revolving door. So you'll have young women who are leaving and changing jobs frequently. And then people are like, oh, they're not committed because of that, because the environment is very hostile. So oftentimes it actually starts with shifting that environment and becoming very strict around that behavior will not be tolerated. And that encourages people to actually speak up because you're right, it's a slippery slope. I've personally experienced it. Most women have experienced it. It's especially difficult when you're younger. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Any final words, Osmo Rungwa? Is there just a way to just handle it once and for all? I can tell you what once happened to me. I'm not condoning it. But, you know, I worked at the SABC and a man actually uh, who was a prominent actor in Isidingo. Yes, one of the main characters met me in the lift near the parking lot. And uh, as I walked into the lift, he was there. He was actually with the main character, the woman who's supposed to be his wife. And he attempted to touch my breast. Let me tell you something. I never knew I had such an arsenal of swear words on my tongue. And I used it. And I'd save myself a lot of trouble thereafter. Sure. You were very lucky to, to have turned the situation around. But others, should they do that, then they get into a whole lot of trouble. Yeah. You either would lose the job or you you will be stagnant in that position. You'll never see the increase. However, it is a good thing to do. But again, one needs to assess the environment where you are. Is it conducive for you to even create, be verbally creative like that? Or... <laughs> If the environment is not conducive, follow the processes, go and report to the the relevant bodies, and then see how they manage the problem. However, this is the responsibility of the employer and the employee, and then how do the employer come into being? They have to state clear policies. There must be clear policies that address the issues, and they should be consistent um, training, as uh, Julia has mentioned, that it's not a once-off thing. Even if people get inducted on the first day, it needs to be a continuous process whereby we educate these people on how to behave and even those who behave on what not to do, how not to behave in order to Mm. cause other people an an uncomfortable environment. Thank you. it's, It's a dual process. Thank you, ladies. Yours was the more professional, mature approach. Handle it systematically, handle it with decorum, take it to HR. For anybody else, for anybody else, call a sexual harasser what he is.
call it to him so that he never forgets. It's time for the news. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.